Our sermon series throughout the Gospel of John has been framed as this story that's so much better than what we think. Uh, The reason we'd say this is not just a story or the story of Jesus that's better than you think, that it's actually part of your story, is because when you join God's family by believing in Jesus, you become a part of it. And today, I, I believe that what you'll see in John 12, and maybe you already saw it, is Jesus calling for that question. Uh, that no longer is the book of John uh, an introduction to the Messiah or uh, asking the question, could Jesus be the Messiah? Here's all the evidence. But, but here in John 12, we reach this moment when you have to decide. Uh, when all the evidence is in and everything has been made clear and made obvious and now it's time to make a move. All right. So throughout the Gospel of John and in fact the whole book itself we see as just two things. It's, it's testimony, and then it's an introduction. It's someone saying, here is Jesus. Like, I met him. You've got to meet him, too. And then it's the, it's the walkthrough of that story. And just like John, the writer, did this, uh, and just like someone may have done this for you at some point in your life, introducing you to Jesus for the first time, we recognize that our mission is to carry this on. Our mission is to continue to testify, here is what Jesus means to me. Here is what he's done in my life. And now, would you like to meet him as well? So last week, Pastor Dell was here, uh, and, and he led us through learning about what really what anyone would agree, one of the most public and astounding miracles of Jesus. If you were thinking of this uh, as building evidence, this is kind of the ultimate evidence, because Lazarus, who had been four days in the grave, was called by Jesus to come out, and he did. And here's this amazing miracle that that goes far beyond giving the blind sight, far beyond healing a sick person or casting out a demon. Uh, this, This is as much of a miracle as could possibly be done, except for one more level of miracle that we'll come to at the very end of the Gospel of John. All right, so all of these miracles were written so that we would believe, so that we would have the evidence in front of us, whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And here's what I see in chapter 12. If you think about sort of this ongoing storyline of some people starting to follow Jesus, and you could say his followers, that's the people whose hearts were really in it, and also his fans, which he had a huge number of fans at this point, because people were looking at Lazarus alive going, well, of course, I'll follow Jesus. Like, what other choice do I have? It wasn't necessarily that they believed in the sense that we talk about belief and faith, but, but they couldn't deny the miracles. And so the, the crowd of people who were excited that maybe Jesus was the Messiah, that crowd was ballooning. Now, at the same time, that ballooning crowd was hardening the hearts, hardening the opposition to Jesus among the top leaders. And that's why, as crazy as it seems, they're looking at Lazarus like living proof that that there's resurrection from the dead. And what are those guys plotting? Not only do we need to kill Jesus, but what else do we have to do? We're going to kill Lazarus too, because we have to get rid of all of this. And so everything that's happening here, you you see sort of this boiling point of activity. And then Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey and this triumphal entry, and all these people who had heard of the miracle of Lazarus, many of them who would have known Lazarus personally or gotten to meet him after his resurrection, they're lining the streets with palm branches going, he, this is it, like Hosanna to the King of David. He's the Messiah, and he's entering into Jerusalem. So there's all this excitement. There's this huge party that's happening. 
Now, in chapter 12, I see it as a turning point in the book because really for the rest of the book, from 13 forward, it's the story of the Last Supper and then the death and resurrection of Jesus. So all the evidence gathering of the book, all, all, the, all the sense of Jesus teaching and Jesus demonstrating he's really the Messiah, that all is happening up until chapter 12. And now we change the question. Instead of the crowds whispering and wondering, like, could this be the Messiah? You literally have Jesus fulfilling the messianic prophecy from Zephaniah, riding in on a colt into Jerusalem as the king, having done all these miracles, having checked off all the boxes of what the the Messiah was to be. At this point, it's not a question of, like, could this be the guy? Maybe we need to learn more. Now it's obvious. You have to decide, do you believe in him or not? And sadly, as we read in the text at the very end of chapter 12, even though all this evidence pointed to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, most people still in their hearts didn't believe. Most people still in their hearts were clinging to the status quo. They were clinging to their own path forward through the law. They were clinging to their tradition. They were clinging to what their leaders told them. They were clinging to life as it always had been rather than recognizing that here a moment came right in front of them when everything turned around. The whole tide of history shifted. The question is, do they want to accept that or not? What I wanted to do today, because really you could look at chapter 12 and there's so much here, right? I mean, there's Mary anointing Jesus with this expensive perfume uh, there's, there's Jesus prophesying about his death. Uh, there's the unbelief of the people. There's a variety of Old Testament references here and the triumphal entry and all these connections to prophecy. The, the, the piece that I feel like we should zoom in on today is starting in verse 20. And it's when some Greeks get curious about Jesus. So if you look to verse 20, You see, some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. There were other people, non-Jews there. And you could almost think of Greeks as representing the rest of the world, the Gentile world. So, so far, most of the storyline of Jesus has all happened inside the, the chosen people of Israel. And now Jesus has become so popular, such a phenomenon, that, that people outside of the family are starting to hear that there's a miracle worker, there's a king, there's some sort of Jewish Messiah to pay attention to. If you look in the verse directly preceding that, verse 19, the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone or the whole world has gone after him. If you put that in context and realize the whole time, all the way since John 2, The Pharisees have been resisting Jesus, trying to discredit Jesus, trying to disprove Jesus, sometimes even trying to murder Jesus. And what do they say here in 12, 19? They're ready to give up. It's as if here at this moment, Jesus is about to win the battle to be the earthly Messiah that they had all expected. That finally they were starting to lose their ability to keep a grip on the situation. Their narrative had collapsed. And so it didn't matter how much more fake news they issued. It didn't matter how how much more they they spoke against Jesus. At the end of the day, people could see it. They could see Lazarus was alive. All these miracles were real. Jesus had checked off all these prophetic boxes. The Pharisees are realizing they've lost the battle of ideas here. 
There's nothing we can do. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So then these Greeks approach Jesus. And you would think, like, if Jesus was vying for this earthly kingdom, this idea of just sort of becoming the new David, the new king in Jerusalem, oh boy, this is the moment to seize it, right? He's been ushered in. The crowds of Jerusalem are thrilled that he's there. They've waved the palm branches. They've called him the king. Uh, Now the, the rest of the world is starting to hear And so here these Greeks come along and they're saying to the disciples, we'd love to meet Jesus. Like we're hearing all these stories. So I imagine the the conversation might have sounded like this. We're hearing an amazing story about Jesus, a Messiah, a king. We want to meet him. And then through Philip, through Nathaniel, and they have this little conversation. You can imagine Jesus sort of saying, wait, hold on. Let's, Let's hold off on that meeting. That's not why I'm here. It's almost time for me to be glorified way beyond your expectations of messiahs and kings. This story is, a lot, is about to get a lot better than you think. What they thought the story was going to be is that Jesus would ride in on the donkey, do these miracles, wow all the people, and establish himself as the new king, and then defeat the Roman Empire and take over the world all for the glory of God. And man, they're jazzed about that. That sounds awesome, right? They're, they can't wait for this new kingdom to be ushered in. And, and so now the world is starting to take notice and Jesus says, hold on. The hour has come for me to be glorified, but it's not the way you think. This story is about to take the ultimate twist of plot here. And it's going to get way, way better than you could even imagine in your earthly point of view. Then Jesus says that he is about to go on this journey of death. That's why I remember the crowds are saying, wow, well, I thought the Messiah was supposed to live forever. How are you, what's, what's this all about? So verses 24 through 26 outline how Jesus was saying his life was going to ultimately result in more than they ever expected. And I also see these scriptures as an invitation to those who are listening and to you and I to follow Jesus or not. If you want to walk the road of the Messiah, he invites you to join him. Or you can stay in the crowds. You can stay on the sidelines. You can be an observer or you can be a participant. This is the point where you get to choose whether this story becomes your story or not. Let's look at it. Zoom in to chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied in regard to that request from the Greeks, Now is the time for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for this life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. So here, just when you expected Jesus to win the big debate and to say to the Pharisees, you're right, you have lost it, he steps back and he says, by the way, I'm about to go a direction that you would never have expected me to go. Because if I don't die, this harvest will never occur. 
And if I cling to my life in this world, the purposes of God, the eternal purposes of God, will be forfeited. And if you want to be my servant, join me in that. So, your story is going to begin in a different way than you would expect. Your better story, the story that's supposedly better than you thought, starts in the most unlikely place. It starts with death to yourself and to what you thought your life was about. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. And there's a lot of people out there that, that are clinging to their identity as a single seed. And they would rather remain in the bag of single seeds for their whole life and just be proud of that rather than realize the new kind of life that's actually possible that they were created for if only they would let themselves die to their old desires, their old wishes, their old approach to life and to embrace a new kind of life that's better than anything physical life has to offer. So your better story, if you choose to step into it, begins with you dying to yourself. The better story isn't you can have an even better earthly life than you thought you could have. The better story is when you decide earthly life doesn't matter. I'm a part of something bigger and better than that. So your better story in verse 25 also begins with devaluing the priorities and the comforts of the world. Look at verse 25. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. In another text in Luke, Jesus talks about the person who's clinging to the world. They're holding on so tight. That's the person who loses everything. He says, what does it matter? I mean, what, does it, what do you gain if you, if you gain the whole world, but then you lose your own soul? If you trade things in this world for eternal things, it's a bad deal. So devaluing the comforts, the pleasures, the fame, the money, whatever it is about this world, saying, Lord, I don't have to hold on to that because I'm reaching for something that's eternal, that's when your better story begins. If your better story in your own mind's eye is just getting richer and happier and safer. It's ultimately anything beyond where you just remain a single seed and your life never means anything beyond that. But if you can let go of this world and think about eternity, suddenly a new story begins, just like it did for Jesus. Your story also has to begin this way. Willingly walking towards servanthood, persecution, pain, challenge, holiness, and the cross. Verse 26. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants will be where I am. Now for a moment, take that literally. Where was Jesus about to go? If you follow Jesus, where would you end up? You would end up with challenge, persecution, pain, rejection, and the cross in front of you as well. It says, if you want the new kind of life, if you want the better story, if you want the bigger picture, you have to start by following me 
And it's not going to make sense at first because it goes against all the, all the traditions and all the opinions of this world. Something new is coming. Something no one would have guessed. So you could ask this question. Wow, if I start with death and challenge and persecution and devaluing all the things I've been working for all along, and I start this new story, where will it take me? How will that story end? And I think you can go back to these same verses and you can see the answer to that question. It's actually pretty exciting. Your better story that you could live if you chose to would result in multiplied fruit for a life the multiplied fruit of a life that really mattered. You'd look back at your life and you didn't remain just a single seed in the bag, just doing your own thing for your own purposes with your own agenda. No, you let yourself die so that God could do something amazing in you, something so much grander. Like why would you ever choose to stay a seed when you could become a multiplying plant-bearing, a fruit-bearing plant it's the, it's the transition of a to, moving from earthly life and priorities over to something new. So your life could be defined by multiplied fruit if you embrace this better story to live in. Your better story can also result in eternal joy of a life that never has to end. Something really striking about asking the question, how will my better story end, is that it actually won't. That's why it's a better story. Uh, Everything in this world does end, but if you join Jesus and what he's doing, your story doesn't have to end. Jesus said, if if you'll let go of your life, instead of clinging to it, you can keep it for eternity. And then finally, your better story, verse 26, will result in being honored by God himself as a faithful servant. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to follow me because my servants must be where I am and my Father will honor anyone who serves me. If you serve yourself or you serve the systems of this world, you'll get earthly honor. People will pat you on the back. Um, maybe, Maybe some earthly dream of yours will come true. But if you want the honor of God, then you set all that aside and you follow Jesus And one day he will honor you and your story will get a lot better than you expected. So you could look at it this way. The happiest ending is really no ending at all. It's where love and purpose and joy keep extending forward forever. And that's what Jesus died to make possible for you. He gives you the option now to trust him, to believe in him, to walk with him, to embrace him as the Messiah And say, instead of standing on the sidelines as a skeptic or just kind of remaining a permanent seeker who's wondering what's going on, now it's my turn to lay down my life, to become like a seed. And just like Jesus died to kick off a whole new story and a whole new kind of life, you also and I also can die to ourselves and begin a new journey. I want to leave you with this question today. Is your story going to end, or is this just chapter one for you? Let's pray. 
Lord, we see really all through the Bible your offer of grace and love to us, your offer to bring us into your family, to give us eternal life, to pull us out of the temporary and aimless and dark patterns of this world and begin a new kind of life that really we can't fully comprehend. We see, Lord, that you took that road when all the earthly things were lined up, you set those aside and continued to walk forward ultimately to the purpose for which you came and you invite us to do the same. Help us, Lord Jesus, to follow you. We look forward to our story never having to end, to continuing the journey of love and faith and joy with you throughout our earthly lifetime and then on forever after that. In fact, we look forward to the whole story unfolding in front of us, and we pray that you'd help us to be faithful as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, well, God bless you. You're dismissed.